Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, you ready? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. All right, give somebody a high five. Good job. Sit down. <laughs> I love this passage so much. You know, God really said in my heart a year ago about doing this series, talking about the five things. You know, five is the number of grace. Did you know that? Five is the number of grace. And I love that there's five descriptive elements of Jesus who is grace personified, five descriptive elements of Jesus that, that we could discover. And so that's what we've been digging in. And today we're going to talk about Jesus as the everlasting father. Everybody say everlasting father. Now, we're familiar with the Christmas narrative, right? Luke chapter 2, if you don't know where that's at in your Bible, Luke chapter 2. Dads, moms, I'd encourage you on Christmas morning to crack open your Bible to Luke chapter 2 and talk about when God showed up on the earth to transform everything. Love what Pastor Leslie was saying earlier about how when Jesus came, he turned, he changed everything. Everything. It's not just about Christmas. The baby in a manger isn't just about Christmas. It's about humanity. It's about God coming to humanity and say it, I am here now and I'm not leaving, right? Are you with me? So Luke chapter two, we see the story of Joseph and Mary. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now this was prophesied uh, about Jesus that he would be from the line of David. And Joseph was from the line of David. Now, Joseph is Jesus's earthly father, not his bio dad, right? But his earthly father. And it says this, because he belonged to the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Firstborn firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Isn't it interesting that God said, when I show up, I want to show up in the context of family. An unnecessary package. Now we know that, that Mary was part of the pro, product, part of the process, right? You gotta have a, a womb for a baby to grow in, right? So we know that we get Mary. We, we understand that the prophecies talked about a virgin conceiving. We know that. But Joseph, I mean, he, he really isn't necessary. It doesn't appear that Joseph would be necessary in the story. I mean, really, the Virgin Mary is good. That's all we need, really. Just, just Mary, just Mary. The story's good. The, the Christmas cards look pretty good. But no, God said, I want to be born into a family. An unnecessary package, but an important detail that God didn't leave out. You know, Jesus and Joseph learned a whole lot about being a non-biological parent about being adoptive parents. Joseph was in a was a was was not Jesus's birth father. Right? 
Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In fact, he was a little frustrated and he was about to bail. And so God sent an angel to say, hey, listen, Joseph, right? You've got to be part of this story. And so Joseph responded. So Joseph was who the father decided was going to show Jesus how to be a man. See, Jesus had been God all along, but he never knew how to be a man. So he had to have someone to teach him how to be a man. So Joseph was going to show Jesus how to be a man, and Jesus was going to show Joseph how to be like God. To be like Christ is to be like God. And let me say this. This was Mary's firstborn. Now, Mary, there's some teaching out there that said, you know, Mary maintained her virginity until she died. Poor Joseph, right? We would say, uh, first of all. But we actually know, Scripture tells us that that Mary actually had four other boys uh, that were born, Scripture talks about, and she actually had daughters. So they were a big family. Jesus grew up in a big family. And however, Jesus was her firstborn, Right? And it says this in Colossians, but Jesus, let me say this first. It was Mary's firstborn, but Jesus was not just the firstborn to Mary. He's actually the firstborn to all creation. Other words, the firstborn to us. Jesus wasn't just born into a a family. He was born to expand his family. So Colossians chapter 115, it says this. He is the image, speaking of Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. So Jesus, listen, was in the creation story. Jesus was there, right? We talked about the incarnation weeks ago. For by him, all things were created, things on heaven and things of earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. I love that. You were created for God, for God's pleasure, for his enjoyment, not for your enjoyment, not for your plan, not for your ambition, not for your hopes, not for your dreams, but for his God created you for his pleasure, for his enjoyment. Isn't that good news? Get this. God enjoys you. He's not, he's not like, you know, biting at, at his heavenly fingernails. The father isn't going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. Right? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, speaking of Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn, everybody say firstborn, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, or other words, the rulership, the authority. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Do you understand that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus? Right? It's beautiful. You want to know what what God the Heavenly Father looks like? Look at Jesus. We kind of have this idea that God's kind of this, the Heavenly Father is kind of like this strict parent, and Jesus is kind of like the nice one. No, Jesus reveals the Father, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. Jesus came to show us what the Father looked like. That's why he came. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him, To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed 
on the cross. So Jesus, interesting, interesting title, Jesus, Everlasting Father. Isn't it an interesting way that we're described here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? That first of all, he's everlasting. What does that mean? That means he's eternal. The theme of this passage, right? His government shall know no end. There's no end to the rulership of Jesus. There's no end to the fatherhood of Jesus. There will be no end. It's his government, it's his movement, and he's eternal. It starts and it never ends. When Jesus showed up in that manger, his kingdom was established on the earth. Once again, it was broken, right? It was broken in Genesis 1. But when Jesus shows up, Jesus reestablishes his government on the earth It says it's going to last forever. Forever. It's like a forever rulership. He will be, listen, the everlasting father forever. That word everlasting means forever. Real deep. Check this out. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. John has this revelation of Jesus. And it says when he saw him, he fell at his feet as though dead. That's intense. So he sees Jesus and he's like passes out. He's overwhelmed by the beauty of Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. (laughs) Thanks. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Right. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Other words, I, I rule everything, even death. I defeated death. I took the keys from death. I've got it. I'm in control. I'm alive forever. The everlasting father. The second thing that we see about Jesus is father. Now, it's interesting because Jesus, if, if you're familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity, if you're not, it's important. It's not a side issue. How many of you know that it's important for you to be theologically knowledgeable? You should know theology. People like use things like the Trinity and they go, well, it's kind of hard to understand. So I'll just kind of throw it out. And you know, it's kind of a B issue. No, 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 no. It's an A issue because we're talking about the nature of God, right? So for me, if there's someone that's a teacher that teaches modalism or it teaches oneness doctrine that basically says that Jesus and the father are the exact same person, I don't listen to really anything that they have to say. You know why? Because that is different than the God that I serve. My God has a different nature than that. Be careful who you listen to. Come on. So modalism teaches this. Everybody say modalism. And and modalists will use this scripture to to forward their thoughts. Modalism means this, is that there's, there's one person. God is one person, three manifestations, right? So Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Let me know that that's incorrect. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is God. God is Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So we have basically one what, God, and three who's. Are you with me? That's the best way I can describe it for you. One God, three persons. One what, three who's. That's, that's, that's the Trinity. One what, what is it? We're talking about God. There's not multiple gods. There's one God, but he's got, there's three persons in God. Are you guys with me? It's like in a marriage, there's two people, just two, just in case our society gets confused on that. Two people in a marriage, a man and a woman, right? 
Okay, that's a marriage. A marriage is a man and a woman. We are, that's a marriage, right? God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So modalists, again, will use this verse to kind of propagate oneness teaching, um, which is, again, the reason why it's called modalism is because, well, God was the Father at creation, and then he became Jesus. And it's interesting that, you know, even in Genesis, it says, let us create the earth, right? Let us create man. And so um, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is, is very well established. So we can have a conversation about that if you'd like, or you can do your research later. But it is important. It is important, right? You don't have to be super scholarly, but you need to be a student. You need to know what you believe. And it's very important that we understand that when Jesus shows up, he is fully God and fully man. He wasn't always fully man. He was always fully God. But whenever he came on the earth, right, the incarnation, he took on humanity and he will be a human forever, a human God man. <laughs> right? So it's, it's awesome. He's, I heard my Bickle say it this way. He's got elbows, Right? Like his fingernails, like Jesus is, is a physical man in heaven. Scripture says that he's, he's making intercession for us, that he's been there. He's done that, but he's going to live forever. All right. Y'all good. He's still got like a body, like a physical body. That's awesome. The scars in his hands to show what he went through for you. Come on. All right. That's good doctrine. We need to have good doctrine in church. Come on. It's not just about the little warm fuzzies. We're going to get there. All right, Hebrews. The Hebrew word, not Hebrews, but the Hebrew word for father is ab. Everybody say ab. Kind of like the word we use, abba, right? Ab, it means a father in literal and immediate or figurative and remote application. Other words, like a chief, right? Like a founding father. So when we talk about Jesus as being the everlasting father, we're saying, we're not saying Jesus is the father, right? What we're saying is that Jesus is the forefather of the Christian faith. Uh, Hebrews 12, one, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So it's his government. It's speaking of his movement. He's the one that started this thing. You talk about George Washington, you're talking about a founding father. So when we call Jesus the father, what we're saying is we're saying he started this whole movement called Christianity. And there's a lot of people that are trying to, that are coming in and trying to rob that term Christianity. What is it? Listen, I, I, I say that we don't redefine who we are because that's what we've been called since the Bible. I think Christianity is a great thing for us to cling to and hold to. What we need to do is we need to redefine it in our behavior, right? Come on. And so, and, and be for real on that. So, so go to war for terms like that. You are a Christian. You be proud that you're a Christian. You serve Jesus. You are following Christ, the forefather of our faith. Y'all okay? We talk about Abraham. Abraham is the father of many nations. So when we talk about Jesus's father, we're saying that he initiated this whole thing. He started it up and we, we bought in. Um, Back to Joseph. I think God used Joseph because he wanted to emphasize the value of fathers in our life. Um, and not when I say fathers, I don't necessarily mean biological fathers. Because these are arguably the two most significant men in human history. Jesus for sure, but probably Joseph as well. We're also speaking of when we're fathered. Because you, you don't have to be someone's bio dad to father them. Right? 
So the way that we're fathered, the way that we're raised, the the way that we're taught impacts our identity more than any other circumstance. Did you know that? Your father. Now, our our mothers are there to nurture us. We know that we're definitely not. You need both. Come on. Are you with me? God, God set this thing up. You need both. But listen, our identity is more impacted by our relationship with the father figure in our life, whether it be our bio dad or the man that raised us. Our identity is more impacted by that than any other thing. Than any other thing, it will impact your identity. You will deal with the issues. You, you will deal with daddy issues for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, you will. Because fathering is so crucial. So I think that God uses Joseph so much in this story because he wants to emphasize, listen, fathering is the big deal. Listen, we have a lot of daddy issues in America. Um, a number of years ago, I've shared this story before. I went to Ukraine and uh, had, you know, had these messages prepared, you know, kind of, but, you know, as, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, you kind of have like some messages in your back pocket that are like the, the good ones, right? I mean, you're, you're, you hope it's all good, but then you have like your five-star messages that you kind of hold on to. So when you get invited to preach, you're, unless the Lord's just really dealing with it, you're probably going to draw from some of these things that are really like, they're deep ingrained and you know what it's, you're going to, it's going to preach good. You know, it's going to preach good. So man, I, we go to Ukraine and I got my message and man, I did, I preached my messages and, and I, and I did all that. And I was talking to Jerry, the guy that invited us out. And he said, let me tell you what ministered to these people so much. And I said, what is it? And th- this was right when Mariah was just born. She was what, like a couple months old. And he said, when you would get up and you would start talking about how much you love your family and how much you love your daughter and just start talking about how, how much he's like that ministered to the people of Ukraine more than anything else, because they, the, the men there are very stoic. They're very unattached. They come out of a communism. So there's this, this kind of coldness and hardness from the men. They're not loving to their families. They're not good father figures. So when you said that it ministered to so many people, just me saying how much I love my kids. Or my, my kid at the time and how much I love my wife. He's like, that was the thing that really ministered to people the most. And I did not understand it. And then this week I was thinking about, I was like, that's why, because people, we, we crave, we have a longing in our heart for fathers. And, you know, what we tend to do as a nation many times is we tend to focus on symptoms and we become very symptom based. Well, these are the issues in our nation Listen, can I tell you that all the issues in our nation are symptoms. They're not the issue. The issue in America today is fatherlessness. That is the issue in America today, either because the father left the home or because the father is in the home and he's not present. Over 20 million Americans, and I'm going to give you guys some stats today just to prove my point. Well, prove it in the Bible. Well, The Bible was written before America was founded, so let me give you the facts on America here. Over 20 million Americans face the epidemic of fatherlessness. Poverty. We talk about, man, poverty is an issue in America. Absolutely, there are poor people in America. In America, you're four times more likely to be poor if you don't have a father. 90% of runaways are from fatherless homes, 90%. Poverty, huge, huge issue in America. Four times more likely to be poor without a dad around. Number two, substance abuse. And we got a drug problem in America. Listen, 10 times more likely 
to have a substance abuse issue without a father. 71% of all adolescent substance abuse comes, comes from fatherless homes. 71%. And I would say that there's probably another 15 or even 20% of fathers that are in the home that are absent. Physical and emotional health. 80% of adolescents in, in psychiatric hospitals come from fatherless homes. 80%. Two times more likely to commit suicide if you're in from a fatherless home. Academic achievement. Nine times more likely to drop out of school without a dad around. It's crazy. You're less likely to attain any kind of academic or professional qualifications in adulthood without a dad around. Crime. 70% in juvenile correction facilities are there because... They didn't have a dad at home. 60% of rapists were raised in fatherless homes. I mean, the the, the sexual assault and all this kind of stuff is ridiculous in America. You know, let me tell you why. Because there wasn't a man that loved that man. Most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time, it's because a man didn't show him how to be a man. I Man, I, I come from a broken home. My mom taught me a lot of great stuff, but only a man can teach me how to be a man. A woman can't teach you how to be a man. And if you're a man, you need to be a man. If you're a woman, no one can show you how to be loved by a man than a man. So I love my girls. There will never be, I, I, I've made it up in my mind that there will never be a man that will, that, will, that will love, that will be in a relationship with my daughter that loves them less than I do. If you want my daughter, you're going to have to love her more than I do. <laughs> Come on. Just, let's be real. Let's just tell you, you know. I don't know where you're out on the gun debate, but let's let's just be real. I might only have one gun, but I got a lot of ammo. Right? Yeah. You're 20, 20 times more likely to be incarcerated if you don't have a father at home. 20. 20 times more. 11 times more likely to have violent behavior without a dad around. Sexual activity and teen pregnancy. Nine times more likely to be raped or sexually abused in a home without a biological father. Nine times. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting how those are linked. 70% of teen pregnancies happen in fatherless homes. We're not, we're not judging teen pregnancies. Mary's a teen pregnancy. Come on. We don't, we don't judge people in that scenario. Children are never a mistake. Never. And so what we do in our culture is we try to build regulations. We try to build laws. I think some of those laws and regulations should be there. Let's just be real. But they will not fix the issue. A government can't fix the daddy issue. We might be able to control some stats a little bit, but we can't fix daddy issues. You, listen, you can't govern morality anyway. Government, you cannot govern morality. The only way you can govern morality is by having his kingdom inside of you and allowing his kingdom to govern you. Because morality is more than an action. It starts in the heart. We've gotten all political thinking that God's going to bless America because 
we get a political system. He's like, I want to get inside your heart. The, pol- the political system is just a result. Let's just be real. There's bigger problems than the government. The bigger problem is dads are not present in the home. So we all deal with daddy issues, all of us. Even, listen, even if you had a perfect dad, which you didn't, even if you had a perfect dad, you have, you have daddy issues, you have daddy wounds. Just because we have expectations that, that are unmet, they might be unrealistic. All of us have daddy wounds. We just, we all do. And you might, again, you might have the perfect dad. We all have dad wounds. We all carry a dad wound around. We all have daddy issues. And it might not have been a, an issue that he inflicted. Are you, are you with me? It might just be something that you read into or something that you misunderstood or that you didn't get the whole story on. So Jesus shows up on the scene and he provides a solution for the daddy issue. Y'all tracking with me? Jesus revealed the father. So when Jesus shows up, Jesus was saying, I'm a mirror of what the heavenly father looks like. Do you want to know what the heavenly father looks like? Look at Jesus. Read John chapter one and read John 14, which we're going to do that right now. Jesus answered John 14 verse six. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. How many ways to the father? One. What if you're sincerely wrong? How many ways are to the father? Even if you're wrong, but what if you're sincere? What if your heart's in the wrong place? Only one way. It's only one way. Good news is you can get, you can say yes to the way. It's pretty easy. No one comes to the father except through me. If he really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father. You've seen, if you see me, you've seen the father. Lord, show us the father. That'll be enough for us. (laughs) Let me repeat this. Verse nine. And he does. He goes on. You continue reading this. You're like, okay, do you get the point? Do you get the point, Philip? You're kind of acting like Peter right now. I'm having to repeat myself. All right. Jesus answered, do you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? So Jesus comes to represent the the forefather of our faith, represents the heavenly father to us. So Jesus solved the, the issues. Jesus solved the daddy issues by revealing that number one, we are loved. Look at your neighbor and say, you are loved. I, I want to deal with some of the issues that I, I feel like that we struggle with as, as children that have father wounds. You're loved. A love, Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remember that word everlasting? I have loved you. I'm an everlasting father who loves you with everlasting love. I will love you forever. I heard Kim Walker share one time. She said she had a vision of Jesus and she said that um, I saw the Lord and he's, I said, he, and he told her, he said, ask me how much I love you. 
And she, go, she was like, oh, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I want to ask that. He said, ask me, how much do I love you? And she said, how much do I love you? And she said that Jesus stuck her arms out, and his arms were like, um, what do you call that little toy? Stretch Armstrong. That his arms were like Stretch Armstrong, and they just kept going and going and going and going forever and ever. And he's like, I love you this much. And his arms just kept stretching. That's how much he loves us. With the everlasting love. I have drawn you with my loving kindness. So he loves us that much. And then, and then what he does, he goes, and I want, and I want you. So I'm going to draw you in with my kindness. I'm just, I, I see you and I, I, and I don't just love you because it's my cosmic obligation because God is love. But it's because, because I've seen you and I go, oh, I want you so much. I love you so much and I want you so much. I'm drawing you with my kindness. My kindness. My loving kindness. My tender, loving, mushy kindness. So you're loved. You are loved. Listen, you are loved by a God that has every reason not to love you. I mean, if there's anyone that has a right not to love you, it's God. He knows every poor intention you've ever had. He knows every bad thing. He knows everything. He knows all your dirt, man. He knows all your dirt. But he loves you still. Number two, you're valued. See, some of you, you don't have any value in your life. I'm just worthless and wasted it all. Just kind of throwing it away. So I'll sell myself out to relationships. I'll sell myself out to substances because I don't want to feel worthless anymore. And Jesus says, you're valued. Listen, we are the most expensive thing God will ever purchase. Think about this. God who has everything purchased you. We only, we only pay the highest price for the best thing. Right? I mean, you have like a 1984 pickup truck. I'm not going to give you like $10 million for it. Right? We only pay the highest dollar for the highest product. Listen, the most expensive thing that God will ever purchase is us, is you. That's how valuable, that's how much he wanted you. I'll, I'll do anything to have them. I'll do anything. Listen, the cross speaks more of your value than it does your failure. The cross speaks more of your value than your failure. And some of you, you've identified yourself by your failures, by your mistakes, by your letdown. You go, I'm just not worthless. I'm not worth anything anymore because I've wasted my life. I've kind of thrown it away. And God's going, I want you forever. I want you. I love you. I want you. I want you to be mine. I know you think I don't want you, but I want you. In fact, I want you so much. I'll pay the highest price for you. I will pay the highest price. First Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you from our forefathers, 
but by the precious blood of Christ. A lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish or defect. He gave his very best. That's how valuable you are. And you belong. Number three, you belong. See, that orphan spirit will say, I just don't belong here. I I don't belong there. And maybe nobody will like me. And if they really knew where I came from, if they really knew the secrets of my heart, they wouldn't want me. Listen, Jesus just doesn't want you. He's unashamed of you. He chose to give birth to us, James 1.18, by giving us his true word, gave birth to you because he's the father. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. Well, God treats me like a possession. Yes, you're his. Not just a possession, his most prized possession. That's who you are. You belong. You belong to God. That's crazy. I'm telling you, this, this, you get this, it'll check the daddy issues. Number four, you are accepted, approved, and affirmed. All of us long for the affirmation. We'll do a series this year um, around Father's Day talking about, in 2018, we'll do a series digging into the Father heart of God. And, uh, but listen, one of the things that we strive for, I strive for it still in my life. I have an amazing earthly father. Couldn't ask for anything better, but man, there is a strive in me for his approval. There is a strive in me for his affirmation. There is a strive in me for his acceptance. I mean, it is, it, 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 I'm telling you there, there are fewer things on this earth that are more motivating for me than to hear my father say, I'm proud of you, son. At 43 years old, it is still a drive in my life. And it will probably be until I die. My dad, if, I, if my dad is proud of me, dude, I'm so golden. Come on, how many of you are with me? We want, we had, God put that in us. But listen, you listen to me. You don't have to strive for his acceptance. You don't have to strive for his approval. You don't have to strive for his affirmation. You are accepted. You are approved. And you are affirmed. He goes, that's, that's my boy. That's my daughter. I'm proud of her. I know she ain't perfect. But she's mine. Well, you go talking bad about my kids, we're going to have a problem. Let's just be real. I mean, I have that gun for a reason. All the dads in the house are like, amen. I don't know. The rest of y'all, like, I don't know what you, whatever. I'm just telling you. Second Corinthians chapter 1, 
For, ma- for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes, approved in Christ. And so through him, the amen, everybody say, so be it, amen. is spoken. And by us, the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Look at your neighbor and say, you're anointed. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're anointed. No, they didn't say annoying. They said anointed. You know what anointed means? It's, I know you think it's some spacey thing. It means that you're set apart, that, you're, that God picked you, that he chose you, that he smeared you with his oil. He said, I, you, I have purpose for you. I picked you, and I've got purpose for you. I'm affirming you. Verse 22, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing. How I many you know a guarantee from God is, is better, better than any guarantee you're going to get when you buy something? Get money back. It's way better than any guaranteed on a credit card statement or any kind of contract you sign. It was signed by the blood of Jesus. The message translation says, verse 21, this way. It says, God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. So I came to tell you today, if I was going to have point five, which I don't, it would be this, therefore, Therefore, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You don't have to live with insecurity. You don't have to stress. You belong to God. You don't have to worry about the approval of people. You don't have to worry about being liked. You don't have to worry about any of that. You don't have to worry about if your bills are going to get paid. You don't have to worry about your health. You don't have to freak out when someone doesn't like you. Because you got God's yes. His yes is all over you. It's all over you. And listen, he's not going to say no. It's a permanent yes. It's a permanent yes. And so his eye is looking throughout the whole earth. His eyes are looking. He's going, who will say yes back? Will you say yes? Will you love me back? Will you love me back?